It's good to see you guys this, uh, this weekend. Uh, lots going on, certainly. Just wanted to let you know, I did uh, check in with Pastor Rick and Kelly this week. They are down south, starting the uh, sort of settling in process this week. I think they'll be back and forth for a little while, but um, I also wanted to mention just a couple quick things. Um, Pastor Mike did such a fantastically brief job on announcements, um, but I do want to mention ladies next week for the Ladies Connect lunch. Um, it's going to be an outstanding time. I hope that all of you ladies will be able to be there. I don't know exactly what's going to happen there. I know it will be different than what happened at the men's uh, breakfast yesterday. There might actually be vegetables involved for the ladies. There weren't any for the men unless we called chorizo a vegetable. But I know it's just an opportunity uh, just to get to know one another and really just to talk about what it is that uh, each of you as women is looking for from women's ministry and different ways you can minister to one another, different ways you can uh, reach out and, and reach in and just these kinds of things. So hopefully you'll be uh, able to be there. Ladies, if you are planning to be there, swing uh, over to the info table afterward. Just let them know or let Bernadette know. So as she's putting together the food, they, uh, they know how much of that you need. Pastor Mike also mentioned the directory. Um, this is something, it's just an internal, sort of a pastoral care, pastoral care directory that we have. We don't have membership at Calvary Chapel, but we do sort of keep track of who's coming here, um, mainly so that we can pray for you. So this is the directory that we use each and every week to pray for each one of you by name and for your specific needs. So if you don't want or need prayer, then by all means, don't be in the directory. But if you like to be prayed for, um, we're going to have some forms. Maybe you can help us uh, update your information. And most importantly, if somebody comes and tries to snap a little picture of you, it's not that we're trying to put it out on the web or anything. It's just so we can match up names to faces and stuff like that. So that's the story on the directory. What a week this week in the news, of course, with uh, the shooting down south and then the fire down there and of course the fire up here in Northern California. Um, so many people devastated, structures, homes lost, you know, loss of life. Um, plenty of opportunities to be in prayer. Um, there will also be opportunities for us, no doubt, to be uh, of service and to minister. If you're interested in knowing what you can do now or making a special contribution, um, you can go to calvarydisasterrelief.org and you can see some of the different things they're doing specifically to minister up there in that, um, in that campfire. So, and then, as I said, we'll keep you updated as the weeks go on just to different ways we can be involved either individually or collectively as a church body. So um, we'll be in prayer this week for that. Um, Veterans Day. Um, I don't know uh, how many veterans we have, but um, if you are a veteran, if you've served or if you're currently serving in any of the armed forces, would you mind uh, standing? Certainly this is something that we, uh, we recognize each and every day, but we're thankful that we have a special day um, set apart. So um, also I think appropriate um, at this time especially, um, I don't know if we have any first responders that call this their church home police or firefighters or paramedics, but certainly with everything going on um, right now is an appropriate time, I think, to, uh, to honor them. But all of these, whether they're veterans or first responders, again, these are those people that run toward danger while the rest of us are running away from it, and we're so thankful for them. Um, if we could lay hands on these two brothers, I just want to pray for them and just God's continued blessing on them and just... Um, 
honor them. So, Father, we're so thankful, Lord, for those men and those women who, uh, Lord, just sign over a blank check, Lord, um, to the forces, Lord, and just and trust their lives into your care as they serve us, Lord, and protect us and our freedoms. Lord, keep us safe from um, dangers, Lord, and, and fight even those that fight that war, even right here on our soil each and every day. So we pray for these men, Lord, and these women, um, that you would bless them, Lord. We honor them and we thank them for their service, Lord, with gratitude that we truly can't express. Um, but we thank you for them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much. All right. Yeah, amen. So uh, turn to Matthew chapter 13, and if you don't have a Bible, um, and if you don't read Mandarin, and so you can't read the Bibles in the... Oh, uh, youth, you guys are headed out with Pastor Tosh, and I don't know what he's teaching today, but if his teaching today is half as good as, uh, as it was when he taught the men yesterday, you guys will be super ministered to. Pastor Tosh really blessed us yesterday for the men. Um, if you need a Bible and you don't have one, just raise your hands, and I know that we've got some out in the foyer, and the guys will make sure to get one into your hands. And if you don't own a Bible, then uh, we hope you'll take this one as our gift um, to you. So we'll be in Matthew chapter 13 this morning, finishing that up. And in chapter 12, you'll remember that we started to see this mounting opposition to Jesus. And then in chapter 13, right, this chapter of the kingdom parables, Jesus starts to try to explain to us and sort of describe for us what would be coming within the kingdom of heaven, right? It's kind of that broad term that refers to God's work among men, his rule and his authority in the midst of all of our human affairs. The kingdom of heaven, remember, isn't the church specifically, but it does contain the church generally. If you think about it in the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 and 6 and 7, remember that Jesus explained the character of the kingdom, right? And in this chapter, now through these parables, he helps us to understand what I would call the course of the kingdom. You know, specifically what kind of things are going to happen after he departs and before he would return again at the end of the age. Now, this kingdom of heaven um, concept is kind of abstract. It's sometimes sort of confusing, but again, it continues all throughout this time period in history that we are, the church age. You know, uh, Jesus used parables to try to help us understand some of these things. Now, the idea behind a parable is to kind of throw alongside, right? It's a story that's thrown alongside of the truth that it's intended to teach. The parables are sometimes called earthly stories with heavenly meanings. And it's basically just taking something familiar to try to explain something that's unfamiliar. And this, there are seven of these in this single chapter, chapter 13. One of them we covered with Pastor Rick, and the other six we're going to look at this morning. Now, the first three contain kind of these grave warnings, but the last three, I think, contain some great encouragements. And so, uh, though you may want to leave about halfway through, right, don't do that today, because I think you're going to see that Jesus really did save the best part, I think, for the last part. So let's just pray once again briefly. Just ask the Lord to bless us uh, as we look at his word in the midst of everything else that we have 
going on. Father, we pray, Lord, even now that you would help to uh, just to settle our hearts, Lord, and calm our spirits. Lord, give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to your church this morning, Lord, um, corporately, Lord, individually, personally. Uh, we pray that uh, your spirit would give us understanding. And we ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, remember, a couple of weeks back in the first 24 verses of this chapter, we had that very familiar parable of the seeds, right, or parable of the soils. And we saw that Jesus explained the four conditions of the heart that each hear the gospel message. Remember, Pastor Rick shared about the hard heart and the crowded heart, the shallow heart, and the fruitful heart. And what we notice is that only one out of four actually describe a heart that hears the gospel, right, receives the word, and then begins to bear any kind of fruit that actually remains. Only one in four, which of course means that three out of four will not. Right? Three out of four are going to fall victim to hard ground or to those shallow roots or you know, cares and concerns that are choking, right? or, or birds of the air that are snatching away this precious biblical truth. And with that, Jesus is now going to continue and I think describe for us in detail the opposition that we can expect would come and still does come against the gospel message and against the kingdom of heaven. And he starts to explain that using this parable of what we call the wheat and the tares. Look at verse 24 of Matthew chapter 13. It says that another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept... His enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the servants said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, for those of you who read ahead, which of course I know is most of you, um, you guys know that Jesus is going to explain this parable down in verses 36 through 43. And so we'll look at it in more detail when Jesus gives us the detail that we need to look at it, right? But just in these verses, we see a few key concepts that I really think we need to understand. First of all, that there will be opposition, right? Secondly, that we have a real enemy, which of course we know is the devil, we know that the opposition he brings is going to be intentional, right? It's going to be subtle. It's going to be very strategic, right? From this parable, we also see that that opposition, it's going to continue right up until the end of the age. And yet, we also see in these verses that the wise farmer has his own strategy to protect and to preserve all of the good growth, and so often, 
we know that part of any successful strategy is simply to recognize the strategy of the opposition. So we watch now as Jesus continues, he's now going to tell us a second parable that's going to point out one of these specific ways that Satan will bring opposition against the kingdom of heaven. It's the parable of the mustard seed. In verse 31, it says, Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of the seeds, but when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Now, some have seen in this parable, and you may have actually been taught this, that it shows wonderfully how the kingdom starts small, like the tiniest of seeds, and then just supernaturally grows beautifully to provide a home for all of these sweet songbirds. And yet, we don't see any example, either in history or in botany, right, where a little tiny mustard seed has grown into a tree large enough to support birds. Rather, a healthy mustard seed plant is just that. It's a plant. So in reality, what Jesus is talking about is abnormal, artificial, unnatural growth, right? He's talking about false growth. He's talking about something that begins small like a mustard seed, but then grows in this kind of abnormal way to a size where birds can actually call it their home. If you look throughout the scriptures, you think about passages like in Daniel chapter 4 or in Ezekiel chapter 17, and so often a tree is used as a symbol of world power. Now just before this, you remember in the parable of the soils, the birds in that parable represented what? Satan. So what we're talking about is abnormal, unhealthy growth of this kingdom of heaven that makes it possible for Satan to kind of land in and work in it. Now, historically, this parable pretty accurately describes exactly what the kingdom community became in the decades and the centuries right after the Christianization of the Roman Empire. You see the church kind of growing abnormally large in influence and in dominion, and it became a nest, didn't it, for all kinds of corruption. Even presently within the church, we see certainly so much of what's called Christendom today has become this kind of a worldwide power with a very complex organization of all kinds of different branches. And the very thing that started in such a humble way today has become, the, it boasts of material possessions, right? So often we see mixed motivations. We see heavy political influences. Now, locally, right, personally, I think very practically, I think there's a warning here for us about the kingdom or a church or a ministry within a church becoming too bureaucratic, right? Losing the simplicity, becoming too big organizationally as ministries sometimes I think have a tendency to do. We need to beware 
to keep the gospel central, right? Keep the workings, keep the machinery of the ministry to a minimum so that we can all just stay focused on that life-changing power of Jesus. Stay focused on his spirit being the one to do the work in the lives of the brokenhearted. So often we see that false growth often has the appearance of strength and of beauty, but in reality, what it provides is an opportunity for corruption. It becomes a distraction. And this is one of the most deceptively alluring and subtle strategies that Satan can employ. And it actually pairs very well with the next warning of Jesus, because along with false growth in the kingdom of heaven, Watch Jesus caution, us, Jesus caution us next. There were going to be other false additives. Look at the parable of the leaven. It says that another parable he spoke to them. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. So here Jesus uses another very familiar but kind of a, su a surprising figure here. Now, many, if not most people, see this as another beautiful picture of the kingdom of God, right? And the way that it works its way through the whole world, right? The way that it's permeating and it's effective until it finally has reached out to everyone. And, and wouldn't that just be wonderful? And yet, Bible students, right? We are not many, right? And we are not most people, because what we see is that leaven is mentioned 98 different times in the Bible. And in every single case, leaven is linked with what? Evil, sin, corruption. So again, the content and the context point us toward this being a description of corruption within the kingdom community. G. Campbell Morgan wrote that this leaven represents the paganizing influences that came into the church. Specifically, I think with leaven, leaven symbolizing something evil that kind of puffs up. And here it is within this meal or within this bread, which in scripture so often speaks of what? The word. So I think rightly that we can see specifically that there's this kind of a puffing up of the word of God. Notice the mustard seed illustrated for us this false kind of outward expansion of the kingdom, while here the leaven illustrates this inward development of false doctrine. So here's our enemy inserting this leaven of corrupt teaching right into the food of God's people. We've all had the experience, right? Very pleasant people knock on our door or they call us over to a table that they have on the street and they say, hey, we, would you like to study the Bible? Or they say, we have some wonderful things that we want to share with you. And you come over or they come in and they open up their Bibles. And then in addition to that, they show you the book of Mormon. Or they show you their Watchtower magazine. And what is it that they're doing? Well, they're inserting leaven into the meal of the word of God. 
just as dangerously, we think about all of the compromising of convictions that is so quickly spreading throughout the church today. Entire denominations, whole groups of Christians are embracing sin, and they're doing it in the name of the false doctrines, the leaven of inclusion and tolerance or being relevant or simply being more progressive in our thinking. Church, we need to simply stick with the scriptures, right? Don't let people add to the word as they try to appeal to your sense of spirituality or, or your evolving humanity, right? Telling you that their group has the real answers or they now have the enlightened understanding or they have the more popular kind of palatable opinion. We need to pray for these poor people who are caught up in these kinds of twisted thinking, right? They're caught up in the snare of the enemy. They're being deceived. We think about when Satan came to Eve in the garden. He didn't come to her and say, hey, Eve, let's rebel, right? Satan came to her and said, Eve, you are so spiritual. I know that all you really want is just to be more like God. And I've got this fruit, right, that if you just eat it, your eyes are going to be opened and your, your enlightening will be, you know, enlightened or whatever, and you'll be more like God. And ever since then, we've seen Satan working hard, introducing false doctrine, introducing false living into the ministry of the word of God. You look all just right back, all the letters of the New Testament, what do they address? We see that from the very early days of the church, we have true believers who are battling false doctrine. That's why Paul writes to the Thessalonians that we're to prove all things, right? Hold fast to that which is good. So Jesus is saying, hey, watch out for all of this outward organization that becomes just a home for evil birds. He says, watch out for this internal deception right, like leaven hidden in the meal. And all these things, verse 34, says that Jesus spoke to the multitudes in parables. And without a parable, he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Now, interestingly, Earlier in this chapter, you remember verses 10 through 17, Jesus explained that he was teaching in parables because of the sluggishness, remember, of the people, right? He was speaking to those whose hearts were hardened and their hearing was dull. He said their, their eyes were closed. And now he gives us a second, kind of, I think, an ironically interesting reason. He says he's using parables because it was prophesied Right back in Psalm 78, elsewhere, that these teachings, these parables would be used, he says, to unlock the mysteries that had been hidden in the counsels of God. So, you see, Jesus didn't teach parables, he didn't teach in these to confuse or condemn the people, but rather he was trying to excite their interest, right? He was trying to arouse their curiosity, he was giving light to those who had trusting, searching hearts, but he was allowing the unconcerned and the unrepentant to remain in darkness. Right? The kingdom of heaven was very, is very mysterious, 
And yet Jesus says that these truths in these parables were going to help unlock those mysteries for anyone who was really listening. In the New Testament, we see all kinds of mysteries, right? These are these spiritual truths that can only be understood by divine revelation. It's kind of like a, a sacred secret, right? It's kind of like those things that are known only to those who are on the inside, those like us who seek to learn from the Lord and who seek to obey him, right? These mysteries would be understood, unlocked for those who were really, truly seeking. And that's just what we see the disciples start to do next. Look at verse 36. It says, Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And the disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. So here the disciples are asking for further instruction. They're looking for greater illumination. And it must have been awfully nice, mustn't it, <laughs> to be able to ask this kind of a question of Jesus, right? to have him right there with you to be able to ask. But can I encourage each and every one of us this morning, we can still do exactly that, can't we? Right? Because after any kind of a teaching, right, whether it's here on a Sunday morning or at a Bible study you're involved in or it's a podcast you're listening to or a book you're reading or in your own devotional time, we need to really rediscover that dynamic of stopping and then asking Jesus for further revelation. Ask him for specific application. So often I think that we lose so much because we simply dash out the door. Right? We check it off. We go on our way without really taking the time to seek the Lord and to say, Father, you know, what's in this for me today? How does this really apply to my life and my situation and my circumstance? And what we find is that when we do that, there's so much additional insight that comes flooding in. Because watch the way that Jesus is now going to unlock for the disciples, and of course for us, the parable of the tares. Right? He's going to really show us what the fruit is of all of these strategies of Satan in opposing the kingdom of, Kev uh, of heaven. The kingdom of Kevin. I don't know who Kevin is, but he's got this huge kingdom. Verse 37, about the kingdom of Kevin, Jesus answered and said to them that he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and, who practice, and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let them hear. Now, in his explanation of this parable of the wheat and the tares, I think Jesus kind of brings everything full circle. He really clarifies, he confirms some of these other figures. Now, follow the flow with me real quick. 
In the parable of the soils, remember from two weeks ago, Satan is opposing the kingdom by trying to snatch the word away from hearts. And yet when that fails, he starts to employ these other ways of attacking God's work within the kingdom of heaven. So we see in the parable of the mustard seed that he encourages this false growth. And in the parable of the leaven, he starts to introduce this false doctrine. And the two of those things work together. They go hand in hand and they produce false Christians. Growing right alongside the real ones. See, when Satan can't uproot the whole plant, right? When he can't uproot the true Christian... He simply plants counterfeit Christians in their midst. Remember that Satan is nothing more than the great imitator. Right? He can't create. All he can do is imitate. And yet he's so very good at it, isn't he? Right? So these tares, right, which are called darnel weed, they have exactly the same color and shape and fragrance as wheat does, but they don't actually form any heads of grain, right? In other words, they take up space. They may even look good in the field, and yet they're soaking up the nutrients, and ultimately they don't produce anything profitable in return. And they are undefinable until harvest time. You can't identify that they're false until you actually pull them out and notice that there's no wheat. So we need to be aware of Satan's counterfeits because they are everywhere, right? In, first, in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says that there are counterfeit Christians, right? In Galatians chapter 1, he says that they believe a counterfeit gospel. Satan even encourages, according to Romans chapter 10, a whole counterfeit righteousness, Right? He has his own counterfeit church, it tells us in Revelation chapter 2. And of course, we know that at the end of the age, Satan is ultimately going to produce a counterfeit Christ. All of these different things happening right now have the appearance of real Christianity. They exist right in the midst of true Christianity, but ultimately they lead people away from actual Christianity. They lead people away from that saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. They lead people away from communion with his real people. They lead people away from his life-changing power. Think about it. Think about those we know that have a problem with Christianity. And what they probably really have a problem with is what? Counterfeit Christians. Right? What they have a problem with is all of the things that they see done in the name of Jesus that they just don't feel like Jesus would do. Now, we can go on and on, can't we, all morning with example after example, but I will leave that to you guys to do in your life groups this week. Right? But instead, in all of this, what does it say we're supposed to do about it? The clue is in verse 41. We're to let the Lord sort it out. So our task is not to pull up what's false, but our task is just to continue to plant what's true. Right? We're to work as evangelists, not necessarily as detectives. Yes, we need to oppose 
Satan. We need to expose his lies. But I believe that we do that best, not by fighting and name-calling when we think we see somebody that might be a tear, but we really do that best, most effectively, by continuing to sow the good seed of the word of God, by bearing fruit right in that place where he's planted us. And we need to be careful because when we try to pull up tares, very likely we are going to do harm to some of the wheat that's growing all around them, right? Trampling them down, upsetting their roots. That's why the wise farmer waits. So let's be wise farmers, amen? And let's just leave the weeding to the Lord, right? He'll have his angels at the end of the age. Let's be busy for now about the work that he has given us to do. Now, admittedly, here at almost 11, these three parables paint a pretty bleak picture of what's going to occur, right, as this opposition comes against the kingdom with their false growth and false doctrine producing these false Christians. And I have to wonder at this point whether the disciples kind of looked stunned, Right? Maybe a little scared, a little shell-shocked as Jesus was kind of unlocking these mysteries before them. And I think potentially we could feel a little bit the same way this morning. And yet, aren't we glad we haven't run out of verses yet? Right? Aren't we glad Jesus isn't finished yet? Because I really think that in the remaining verses, we're going to see him offer some real assurances and give us some great encouragements and he begins with another quick parable it's the parable of the hidden treasure in verse 44 it says again the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid and for the joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field so the field once again is the world and yet the man despite what you may have heard the man doesn't represent the believer. It doesn't represent us selling all that we have to buy this treasure because we have nothing valuable enough to buy this treasure with. See, instead, the man, the man in this parable is the very same as he has been in each of the other parables. It's who? It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who gave all that he had to buy that field. Which also means what? That that treasure that is so wonderful that Jesus would give everything he had to purchase it as his own, that treasure is you. And that treasure is even me. Right? It's each one of us here this morning. So this parable and the next one are very different than the previous three. They were speaking of corruption in the kingdom community, but now these two parables speak of how highly the king prizes the precious people within the kingdom. And just to make sure that we don't miss the message, to make sure that it's perfectly clear, he's going to tell us again now in the, pearl, uh, the parable of the pearl of great price. He says again, verse 45, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. So again, Jesus is the buyer. 
the individual believer is the pearl, right? That Jesus sees as so valuable that he would happily give up everything to have it forever. And what a wonderful reminder here this morning for each and every one of us today. Jesus, Jesus treasures us, right? He gave all that he has for us and we give nothing for him. Now, I know that's hard, but think about it. When you were saved, right, how many of you sold everything? How many of you really gave everything up just to follow Jesus? And the answer really is that none of us did that. What happened is that we were simply born again. The Bible says it wasn't even by our own will, right? It wasn't by our efforts. It wasn't even necessarily by our desire, but it was all by God. See, we didn't sell anything to receive him, but he, on the other hand, right, he gave up his life in order to purchase us because he saw something beautiful in us. He saw treasure. In the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Of course, Jesus didn't look at the cross itself as a joy, but he could look past the horror of the cross, to enjoy the joy that lay just beyond it. And in a word, that joy that was set before Jesus is us. The joy for Jesus is us in heaven with him. Now we think about the agony and the horror of the cross and we really understand it in this sobering context of the fact that the joy that sustained Jesus through that entire experience, that joy was you. It was each one of us as broken people here this morning. Jesus did it all. And then he makes us into something so much better, right? This beautiful pearl. Now it's interesting to consider that that beautiful pearl begins as nothing more than what? An irritating little grain of sand that gets stuck, doesn't it, in the shell of an oyster. And yet what happens is the oyster surrounds that grain of sand with a kind of a crystalline covering that over the years hardens and becomes precious and becomes valuable. And those who know these kinds of things tell us that beautiful pearls can take years to form. But it's during those years that that one little irritating piece of sand is hidden away and slowly clothed and covered with beauty. And folks, that's us. We're those little irritating, insignificant pieces of sand and yet the Lord has covered and clothed us in his righteousness. Right, 2 Corinthians 5, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that what? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, you are a special treasure. You are the pearl of great price. You have been clothed with the righteousness of Jesus, and his righteousness is a thing of matchless beauty. It's a thing of unspeakable value in the eyes of God. And we think about it, and it is so staggering 
that so many people, right, three out of four, would reject his love. This love that's given so freely, and yet we live in this divided, wicked world. And Jesus has already told us that this is going to just continue until the end of the age, that some will receive, and yet most will reject. And watch Jesus. He's going to remind us one more time in one final parable of this fact. It's the parable of the dragnet. Again, verse 47, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore. And they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So with one more parable, right here, Jesus reminds the disciples, of course, he reminds us that even the preaching of the gospel in the world will not lead to the conversion of the entire world. It's more like this big net that's dragged behind a boat and gathers up some good fish, some bad fish, and they all need to be just sorted out when they get back to the dock, right? Now, I think this is important because Jesus thought it was important, so important that he mentions this whole concept a second time. It's not our job to sort the good fish from the bad fish, right? To sort the tares from the wheat. It's also not the function of the church to reform the world by trying to somehow usher in the kingdom on earth, right? These things, Jesus says, are going to exist side by side. They're going to grow in the very same field. They're going to get caught right in the very same net. It's just the way that it will be. Again, we're to sow good seed. We're to catch as many fish as we can and leave the sorting to the Lord. Verse 51, Jesus said to them, have you understood these things? And they said to him, yes, Lord. <laughs> then he said to them, therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Jesus says, hey, I've taught you. Now you go, what? And teach others. Remember, Jesus had just given them this incredible insight. He'd given them understanding and illumination about these things that he told us were mysteries from the foundation of the world. He'd given them new revelation to unlock these old truths. And you know what? He just gave the very same things to each and every one of us here this morning. This chapter is a mind blower. It's like this condensed course on the kingdom at a Bible college, right? We have seven powerful parables packed into one single teaching, right? It's like a monster truck rally or something like that. But they're all packed in here so that we would know and that we would understand the things that we should expect as well as the things that we'll experience when we're laboring, as we're out there trying to minister and impart truth and infuse gospel-centered hope into the lives of all of the brokenhearted around us. In John chapter 16, one of the theme verses for this church, Jesus said that when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will what? He will guide you into all truth. You see, we 
are these well-instructed scribes. We are these householders with this treasure that we have to share. We are the ones with this unique understanding of these New Testament mysteries which unlock these Old Testament truths. We're the ones entrusted with this life-imparting gospel of Jesus. And in this last little section of verses, I, I, I almost think that it's as though the Holy Spirit knew that we were going to be subject to discouragement as we went out on this critical, crucial, life-saving mission. Because watch the way he has included this kind of final section of sort of ironic encouragement for us from the life of Jesus. This is Jesus being rejected at Nazareth. It says, it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. And when he came to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Talk about a letdown. Here, after presenting this powerfully profound teaching to the disciples concerning the kingdom, Jesus left the Galilee. He traveled about 20 miles west back home to Nazareth, and it says there that unbelief filled the hearts of his own neighbors. So don't be discouraged, folks, when your ministry isn't received, right? Or when your revelation is refused, or when your efforts aren't appreciated, or when your treasures aren't recognized, especially by those who are closest and dearest to you. It happened to Jesus, it's going to happen to us. And I just don't think it's by accident that this little historical bit of detail is included right here at the end of this chapter that's so powerfully packed with the spiritual truth and thorough teachings because it's put here as a reminder of the realities of this battle in which we are fighting. Right? It's a battle we saw with a real enemy. It's a battle with real opposition, with false growth and false teaching and false Christians right in our midst. And yet it's a battle in which the Lord Jesus values and treasures us beyond what we could possibly imagine. Right, Like a special treasure, like a, a priceless pearl. It's a battle that he uses the cross to demonstrate that deep love for us. And now in this battle, that's precisely what we take and we use the cross to proclaim to the world. Right? Praying always that the Spirit would start to open up eyes and open up hearts. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul wrote that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved, it is what? It's the power of God, isn't it? 
If you're here this morning and the message of the cross is still foolishness to you, but if you feel the Spirit giving you understanding, if you feel like him making you aware of the fact that you need to embrace that, you need to be forgiven, let me encourage you, please don't leave here today without talking to one of us, without praying, without asking questions. There are people here that can answer them for you and want to minister to you. There are people sitting among you who have those answers. There'll be prayer counselors up here afterward who can pray with you. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you so much for your word, Lord, and we thank you for the warning that it provides, Lord. We thank you for the great assurance and the encouragement, Lord, that it speaks to each of our hearts. Lord, in the midst of this battle that we know that we're in daily, and I, I pray, Lord, that we would leave here not just with a sense of having an academic knowledge of how this chapter lays out or how Jesus taught through these different things, Lord, but truly that by the power of your spirit that these truths would penetrate into the deep places of our hearts, Lord, that we would leave here asking, Father, what is it that you have in this for me? Lord, how does this affect what I am doing for you in the lives of those around me? And so we thank you, Lord. And we praise you, and we do it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Let's, uh, let's stand and worship the Lord together.